It's been a while. It's been a month, almost a month, I think. Actually, it has been a month uh, since we were last in the book of Ephesians. So as we think about God's eternal purpose, that's the name of the study that we've been going through in Ephesians. We basically have gone through the first two chapters, two in a little bit, I think, as we have been going through this book that is in large respect about God's work in the world, right? God's choice, God's purpose, God's plan. And beginning in the first chapter, his choice, right? His choosing, his doing, his deciding. Of course, in 11 through 14, he talks about the seal of the Holy Spirit that is part of this promise of the the Holy Spirit that is given to us. And then in the latter part of chapter 1, it's knowledge of God's purpose, things that he wants them to know. There's that prayer for the knowledge of the Ephesians, that they would understand God's purpose in, in not in their life, just in their lives, but in the whole world. If chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, we're saved by grace, that long section about being saved by grace for his purpose, right? Which he, uh, uh, that we, he prepared uh, good works beforehand that we should walk in them. That's in, in verse 10. So this idea of being saved by grace, that's part of this, but it, again, it's for his purpose. And then in the latter half of chapter 2, the, the sermon that we did most recently, Killing the hostility, the hostility between us and God, the hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and God's purpose in removing or eliminating that hostility and what that means for us and what that means for the church going forward. And in all these things, I hope what we've seen as we've gone through Ephesians, the first part of Ephesians, as Paul does, he has the first half of the book is uh, theological discourse and discussion about complicated, uh, different different, uh, ideas and and different difficult ideas in a lot of cases. In this case, it's, we talked about predestination a little bit. We talked about his purpose of election a little bit, the idea of election. This complicated idea of God's purpose, the centrality of his work in the history of mankind— And then in the latter half of the book, which we're not quite there to yet, in the latter half of the book, it'll be the so what? What do we do about that? What does that mean for us? How should we live? Some practical instructions towards the latter half of the book. Now, if all this is confusing, God's eternal purpose, his foreknowledge, his predestination, these big words that we've used in the past, that's a little bit by design. God's purposes are mysterious. And and one of the things I want to emphasize in this particular section of the text in chapter 3 is the secret knowledge of God. This understanding of his purpose, his plan, his will is unusual. It's not something that the world would just make up. It's not something that's easy for the world to understand This is, in some ways, secret, hidden knowledge. And Paul uses this word in the next section of Ephesians, mysterion. It occurs 28 times in the New Testament. It is uh, an interesting word in the canon of Scripture. A matter of knowledge of which initiation is necessary. That is, it's not knowledge you would just figure out on your own. You wouldn't just figure it out if you're just thinking about life and trying to discover the truth. You wouldn't just sort of figure this out. It's knowledge that requires initiation, someone to initiate you into it, someone to teach you this knowledge, a secret which would remain hidden, but for revelation. In this case, it's the revelation of God to his apostles and prophets, right? That they're revealing this this mysterious knowledge, a concealed power or principle, a hidden, hidden meaning of a symbol. This word mysterion, which you understand, that's where we get mystery, the word mystery that we use today. This word is used in several other places in the New Testament. Matthew 13, 11. 
He's talking to his disciples here. To you it has been given to know the secrets. This is the same word. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Hold on to this thought. We'll, we'll come back to this idea. 1 Corinthians 2, 7. We impart a secret and hidden, this word hidden, same word mysterion, a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. This is not the mystery of God's work, but here the same word, the mystery of lawlessness. The secret of lawless doings already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. This idea of secret or hidden knowledge. God's eternal purpose, and as we go into the text in Ephesians chapter 3, God's eternal purpose, his foreknowledge, his calling, his divine election, his sealing with the Holy Spirit, all the things that he's talked about up until now is secret hidden knowledge for a time. And so we read Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. The Gentiles, of course, significant because he just got done talking about the work of the cross, killing the hostility, breaking down to the dividing wall between the Jews and Gentiles. Assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known by revelation, this secret hidden knowledge made known to Paul by revelation, direct revelation from God, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations in the past. This was secret and hidden for eons, millennia, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. And I want you to note, as we go through Ephesians, oops, Ephesians, the first part of Ephesians 3 here, again, the centrality of God as the actor. God as the agent in the story, the one who is directing and guiding and influencing events. He revealed it to Paul. He chose Paul. He made Paul this minister by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the, uh, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And this isn't the same word, but it carries the same idea, right? To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. If you are picking an opposite, it's not exactly the opposite, but in the context of the text, if you're picking an opposite to the word mystery... It's this idea of being made known. The hidden secret knowledge being revealed, right? That might, it might, uh, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to, and again, we come back to this idea, the eternal purpose. Not a plan B, not a plan C. God's not just making it up as he goes. This was always his purpose. That he is realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, a lot of text there. We're going to dig this, uh, break this down into uh, three different areas, three questions really, about this secret hidden mystery. What is the secret knowledge of the gospel? Where he says it very plainly in Ephesians 3.6, right? 
The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. This is very basically the mystery, the hidden thing, the thing that nobody understood, which you can understand why that was hidden, right? Because for the last thousand years, what's been going on? He chose the Israelites. They're the special chosen. They're the people of God. All the way back to Abraham. I'll make you a great nation, right? And you, all the descendants of the earth, will be blessed. You'll, you'll be, have descendants like the sand of the sea, uh, seashore. And then for the next thousand years, it's all about the Israelites. All about this lineage, this nation, this people. And so you can understand why people would get the idea that Israel's going to be special and chosen forever. But that was the hidden mystery, Right? It was so mysterious, so hidden, that even though Jesus says it multiple times in the Gospels, the apostles still can't get it for the first part of the book of Acts. This is such a hidden, mysterious thing. Acts 10, verse 10. This is, of course, Peter. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth and all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. There came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean or common. The voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This vision, this revelation that Peter is receiving, that doesn't make sense to him in the moment. He's very puzzled by it. And then, of course, he's taken to Cornelius and he has this business with Cornelius. And the Holy Spirit descends upon Cornelius and his household, the Gentiles. And then, of course, the mystery is revealed to Peter. Acts 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand now the hidden knowledge has become plain to me. The mystery has been uncovered. Now I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That was the mystery. Mystery of the gospel. A paradigm shift. A total revolution in the way that God is relating to mankind. Luke 24, 44. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and the prophets, uh, law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is uh, written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. The hidden knowledge was that everybody gets to be included now. That's it. Very plain and simple. There's no, you know, I, I tend to shy away from, that's not the right way of saying that. I tend to actively avoid. That's a better way of saying it because it's not like I'm afraid of it. I just actively avoid it. Sort of uh, Bible code stuff. There's a lot of books that have been about like different codes and the numbers and the symbols and the meanings and all that. There's a certain appeal of that even to me, but the mystery, the hidden knowledge of the gospel, when the Bible uses that word, the language of hidden knowledge, is quite simple, really. The mystery is that now everyone can be included. That was the thing that nobody understood. What made it secret? What made that knowledge, or makes it even today, Secret hidden knowledge, a mystery. What makes it that way? Well, Mark 4.10, we, we uh, alluded to a parallel of this. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked about the parables. And he said to them, 
To you, it has been given the secret, this word, right? Secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may not indeed uh, see, but not perceive, may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. He's talking in parables. And, and one of the things about the gospels, why do you speak to them in parables? For us, we come to the parables and they're like, ooh, this is really nice and easy to understand. In the word picture and the story makes this point very nicely for us. But that's not how it was in the first, in, in the original context. The parable was a way of hiding, a way of obscuring, a way of mystifying this knowledge, the knowledge of what he's teaching just for the people who are disciples. Why? Why was that necessary? 1 Corinthians 2. Yet among the mature do we impart wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why was this so mysterious? Because some things needed to happen that would require some mystery. Specifically what? They needed to crucify the Lord of glory. He says it in the beginning, right? So that they may indeed see but not perceive and hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. It's too soon for them to turn in the Gospels. Stuff needs to happen. Christ needs to be crucified. There still needs to be a level of hiddenness to this knowledge, mystery to this knowledge. Not everybody gets to understand it yet, not yet, but after the crucifixion, right? Then it's been open to all. The mystery has been revealed through revelation to the apostles and prophets. Christ has been crucified, not just for the Jews, but for everyone. 2 Corinthians 4.1, even though the mystery has been revealed, it still is hidden to some, to many. In, in fact, it's hidden to most. Because most still refuse to understand. It is hidden not because God has hidden it, and this is the important thing to understand. The knowledge that God had obscured for generations, foretold, prophesied, some people understood it, most did not, which he has now revealed to all, and we'll talk about the practical application in just a minute, yet this secret knowledge is still misunderstood by most in the world. Why? Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. We're not going to twist it to make it mean what we want it to mean, right? But by the open statement of the truth. Very obvious, very plain. We're going to be very plain and open and honest in our teaching. The simple truth of the gospel. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, that is, it is misunderstood, it's un, people don't understand it. Why? It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is still mysterious. But not by God's design, by the devil's design. The God of this world, that's Satan. He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. He doesn't want people to understand. He doesn't want people to have this secret hidden wisdom. He doesn't want people to know this thing that has now been revealed for all generations. Why? Why doesn't he want people to know that? Because if they knew it, if they understood it, it would be very simple for them to be saved. Because the point is that everyone can be saved. Everyone. In any time. In any context. In any place. 
anyone who does what is right and is pleasing to him. As Peter, as Peter was, uh, had this revelation, right? The epiphany that Peter had. So what does this mean for you and me, practically speaking? Okay, well, he talks about the mystery, the revealing of the mystery. What was the mystery? Why was it mysterious? All of that information, good to know, I guess. But what's the point? Back in Ephesians 3, verse 8, there was a point for P uh, Paul. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ to bring delight for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. What was the point for Paul? The point for Paul was this mystery has now been revealed and my job is to make sure that everybody knows it, right? To bring this to light, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Wait. It's not just Paul's job. Whose job is it? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Our job is to peel back the curtain, right? The veil that the God of this world has blinded, the minds of the unbelievers. Our job is to lift that curtain, to make known this wisdom of God, this secret hidden knowledge, the hidden knowledge that what? God wants you. He wants all people to join him. That's the, the secret. That's the thing we're making known. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And then the implication is what? That we want others to have the access and boldness and confidence through Jesus. What does it mean for me? It means that I am a mystery revealer. That's my job. That's your job. Our job as a church is to make sure that people understand what used to be hidden and mysterious, what people used to not understand. Our job is to make sure that they understand it, what God has in mind for them. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am imprisoned, that I may make it clear. This idea of making it clear, right? We're talking about hard to understand things, secret hidden things that Paul ultimately wants to be revealed. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech be gracious. Seasoned with salt. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. A couple of practical applications here. Number one. Quite simply. Pray. The command to pray right. Pray for us that God may open a door for the word. Well we could pray for who? We could pray for missionaries. Sure. That's a great thing to do. We need to be doing that. Constantly praying that there will be doors opened for the revealing of this mystery. Praying for who else? Anyone who's in a position to declare this word. I think about Kenny in prison. Pray for him that a door would be open. That's Paul in prison, right? That he would have opportunity that somebody like Kenny would have opportunity to make known the mystery. And ultimately praying for each other, right? You know people, there's people in your life that need to know the mystery, that they don't understand it. They don't understand what God wants. I'm praying that you will be able to make it clear to them 
I'm praying that we will know how to answer each person. That we will understand how to make it clear to each one. Because each person comes to this mystery, this hidden knowledge. Each person approaches the truth of the gospel with different baggage. Different preconceptions. Different misunderstandings. Different things that cloud their minds, different things that get in the way of understanding. And so for each person, I need to understand, how am I best going to reveal this to them? How am I going to be able to peel back the veil on their minds, their hearts, and make it clear? God loves you, and he wants you to be a part of his kingdom. The very basic essence of the gospel doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter what past you have, what sins that you've done in the past. That's the point of killing the hostility in chapter 2. Christ has come to break down those dividing walls. And our job is to make sure that people know that. James 2, 1 through 4, on the negative side. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory... For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. To the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, in this case, the, the distinctions, the partiality, is on the basis of material wealth. We understand that. But we could do that on any basis. People who talk like us, act like us, dress like us, live like us. People who look like us. We become judges with evil thoughts. The point of the mystery, the mystery that has now been revealed, is that all people have access to salvation. My job is to make that obvious, make it clear to everyone. And the way that I would do that in a very bad way, the way that I would fail in that mission, one of the ways that I would fail to make it clear is if I'm showing partiality as I hold to the faith. I'm going to share with this person, but not that person. Oh, I think that person could respond. That person, I'm not going to deal with them. This person, I'd like it if they were in the church. That person, eh, not so much. Then we become the veil. We become the way that the God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelievers. He uses us because we have not accepted the mystery of the gospel, which is that now all people can join. And so we become the ones who prevent some from understanding. This knowledge is still hidden today because most do not understand it, very basically. Our purpose... So that in the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Our purpose is to reveal what was previously hidden. As Paul did, right? Paul says he's a minister, a steward of this mystery, which he has then illuminated to others. This initiation, right? Knowledge that requires initiation. Knowledge that... You would not just figure out on your own. That's the point of this mystery, this mysterion, this hidden knowledge... And the gospel still is that. It's not knowledge that people would just figure out on their own. Very, very few. Very, very few. A very tiny, minuscule percentage of people 
might just wake up one day and think to themselves, I wonder what's true, and go through it and figure it out and read the Bible and come to the conclusion. Very few people are going to do that. An astonishingly few number. It requires initiation, right? This knowledge of God, this wisdom of God requires revelation. To us it has been revealed by the apostles and prophets and to the world it's going to be revealed by who? By us. We are going to be the ones to lift the veil on those who are blinded. We'll end with 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? What is the point of God's eternal purpose? Again, we go through this idea in Ephesians 1 and 2. God's purpose of election, his calling, his desire for people to be a part of his plan. We are chosen, we are royal, we are holy. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light once you were not a people. That's the hostility, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, the latter part of Ephesians 2, you were alienated and hostile, separated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were dead in your trespasses. You were not a people. You didn't belong to anything. You are just sort of separate and on your own and lost in the world. But what? Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And quite basically put, our job then is to make sure that others receive that same mercy. And how dare we decide who gets it? It's not up to me or you. It's up to him. I can't decide who's going to respond favorably. All I can do is share that light with everyone I know and trust that God will work out the rest. Because it's about him and not about me.